In this week's update, huge volatility around the Fed decision. Is the banking crisis resolved? And gold builds a safe haven status. My name's Gary Davis. As always, this is general advice only. Please remember to like and subscribe to the video. All right, really uh, tumultuous week, but uh, ended up positively, which um, is a bit of a departure from what we've seen of late. So the Fed decision on Wednesday, the market initially liked it, the quarter point uh, rate rise and an indication of maybe one more rate rise in May of a quarter percent, and then that is probably it for 2023. So that was what the market was hoping for, and it initially rallied. But what it didn't like was the fact that Powell said no rate cuts in 2023. Uh, we won't be starting that till 2024. That wasn't what was priced in. And also there was some conflict with Janet Yellen over comments about insurance of bank deposits. Market hates uncertainty, and so it uh, went from being about 1% up to being about 1.5% down. So it was a bit of a bit of a quick hissy fit on the part of the market. I guess the algorithms did their thing. And then um, by Thursday, it was all back to normal again. And we had the continuation of what we've seen pretty much all year. And that's a rotation to risk on areas of the market. So that pretty much summarizes it. The banking crisis, um, this is a very real risk. It's by no means resolved or over. Um, and, you know, this could pop out of the woodwork at any time. Um, and the reason that I think it's, you can conclude that it's a very real risk and an ongoing risk is why would the bank collectives, the major banks, put together a $30 billion rescue fund to help out other banks? It's because of the risk that there will be more and that that could lead to some sort of loss of confidence and contagion in the banking system. So don't underestimate the instability that still could come this year. However, if you've got a good, clear plan, we can still negotiate this year uh, pretty successfully, is my, is my absolute view. So is it all enough? Oh, look, who knows? As I said last week, too many working parts to know. We just manage what we can manage and, um, and don't stress too much about the things that we can't manage. American stocks, before we get to the, the charts and look at where the money flows are going, the S&P ended up rising 1.4% for the week, which, you know, given what happened, um, you would have said at the start of the week that that would be a very, very good outcome. So despite the turmoil, uh, the risk on sentiment remains very much in control, as you'll see in a minute. The US dollar index, as a consequence, um, continued to ease. We're back down now to 102.5. Uh, the 10-year yield continues to also decline, 3.38%, which is basically uh, supporting what Powell had to say about just one more rate rise for the year and then, then cuts next year. Um, the VIX was down um, to 21.7, so an easing of... Of, um, of pressures on that side of things. Uh, the 10-year, two-year spread continues to contract, standard negative 0.38. So it's a bit hard to read that. The bond market is still saying recession, but less severe than what was being indicated um, just a month or so ago. Uh, 
So let's jump in and take a look at uh, the charts. In fact, we'll start with um, we'll just start with some of these other key charts. First of all, this is the um, the VIX over the last six months. You can see on a couple of occasions we've been above 30. Uh, that was in October of 2022. But since then, we've stayed pretty much in a range between about 18 and where we where we were just a week or so ago at around 25, 26. So look, that's elevated. But it's not crisis territory, that's for sure. The 10-year, two-year spread had got down to in excess of 1%, which is extremely rare, but has bounced back into um, a more normal recessionary range now at uh, 0.38. If we look at the actual 10-year um, itself, if we look at it over the last month, you can see definitely trending down, a very clear trend down. So the bond market uh, would appear as though they've been right again and the Fed is not going to be raising rates um, in the manner that, um, that many thought. Final chart I want to look at here, this is, um, this is iron ore, uh, which we'll get a mention when I look at the Australian stocks. So you can see iron ore uh, in April last year, so about a year ago, was trading up around the 155 mark. Uh, we fell all the way to the low 80s in um, November of last year, but we've now recovered. Over the last week, we got up above 130, finished just above 120, but it's still that's still extremely profitable territory, and that's been helping to support the ASX 200. All right, let's look at some key charts now. This is the the S&P, so you can see a bit of a roller coaster week, but as I pointed out last week, we're still trading at the level that we were at roughly a year ago. So it's really just been a, a big volatile sideways um, piece of market action. The NASDAQ, if, if we just get back to the S&P, so look at the S&P relative to the red line the 200-day moving average, which has not turned up yet. And the index is just basically flirting with it up and down on either side. If you look at the NASDAQ, you can see that the 200-day moving average is now leveling out. And the price or the value of the index is, is further above all of the moving averages, including the short term, um, which is not the case here. So unquestionably, the NASDAQ is doing better. But if we look at small caps, small caps are struggling. The 200-day moving average is, is turning over again. The 50-day moving average is also rolling over and the price is below both of them. So, so certainly a good part of the outperformance of the NASDAQ in the last few months has been more from large cap stocks. But look, to be honest, that's normal. It would be highly unusual if that wasn't the case. When a bear market finishes, where does the money first go? It goes into an area of perceived greater safety rather than speculation. And so it's natural that money flows start going back into the large caps first before they find their way down to the small caps. So I'm not terribly perturbed by that. Some commentators are trying to make a big deal out of this and say that the market is only going up because the large caps holding it up. Well, I take a different view and and say, that, well, that's just normal procedure after a bear market. If this were occurring 
at the end of 2021, as it did, after we'd gone through a bull market, then I would, would be really concerned. And that was one of the reasons that I was concerned 15 months ago and, and basically was pointing to the possibility of significant downside. You don't want to see this sort of thing at the end of a bull market, but at the end of a bear market, um, it doesn't worry me. All right, let's get into the, the charts that show us where the money's going. This is the NASDAQ versus the S&P. It's, it's meteoric and it's very, very clear. Just looking at the relative rotation graphs on this, and if anyone doesn't, um, hasn't come across RRG charts before, it's just showing you where the leadership is in the market relative to the S&P. So in this case, the Dow Jones growth index is, has moved into the leading quarter. So that means that it's leading the S&P. It's doing better than the S&P. Whereas the value index has fallen from leading, it's fallen into weakening and now it's into lagging. So value stocks are now back to lagging the S&P and growth stocks clearly have moved from lagging through improving and into the leading quadrant. And um, you know that's just another representation of, uh, of what we're seeing. Here's the relative comparison charts on a sector by sector basis. Um, undeniably, communication services, technology, consumer discretionary, absolutely beating the pants off everything else. And that is over the last three months. Semiconductors versus the S&P turned down a little bit on Friday night. I'm not quite sure why that was because semiconductors had a bit of a bit of a profit taking session, but unquestionably a meteoric outperformance by semiconductors. So that's very good. On a weekly chart, large cap growth versus large cap value, which pretty much uh, reflects what we saw there. So on a weekly chart, giving us a bit more of a, of a um, bigger time period. So that is looking very strong. And finally, small cap growth versus small cap value is now, even though the small caps are lagging, the growth part of small caps is doing better. Money is flowing into, into small caps. So this just remains the same message as I've been giving you for the last few months, and that is, the market is the market flows money flows are saying risk on despite all the problems despite a banking crisis despite inflation that's you know seemingly still way too high um, you know despite a number of things money is still flowing into risk on uh, that's very very clear right let's have a quick look at the currencies this is the US dollar index on a weekly chart, you can see quite a sharp week down, and um, it's still basically in this in this key range here between 104 and uh, 100 and a half, but definitely a fairly risk-off week. And if we look at the Australian dollar, um, it didn't really bounce as much as the um, as the US dollar declined. So. That's, you know, that's an interesting chart in itself. I guess it probably reflects the, the bit, of, um, bit of weakness we're seeing in some of the commodity areas. All right, while I'm here, let's have a look at um, the ASX 200. So down a little bit, but I would expect that um, we should probably have a reasonably bright 
a day on Friday. Uh, this is XMJ, so it's been certainly part of the issue in Australia. Uh, also, energy has been, had a very good day Friday, uh, Wednesday, but uh, eased a bit in the latter half of the week. But finance also been under pressure and took a, a significant leg down on Friday. And, um, you know, the outlook for banks globally is more headwinds than tailwinds, that's for sure. All right, so just summarizing, 65.79 is where the Aussie dollar finished. Our index was down 0.6. Um, iron ore remains strong, and without the strength in iron ore, our index would be doing much worse. There is a combination of factors that are overwhelming the, the progression of um, a lot of quality small cap stocks, particularly in the mining space, particularly in the battery materials space. The market just isn't interested. It doesn't matter how good an announcement these companies make. It's just, you know, yawn and press the sell button again. Um, this will pass. You know, you can't have quality projects, many of them of world-class standing, that are in undeniable megatrends and the market keeps ignoring them. There will be a point where the support will start to come back into those stocks. It's just not there at the minute. But, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of um, quality small caps. Precious metals, um, gold fell by $12 down to $19.79. But on a couple of occasions, it, uh, it went above um, $2,000 on intraday. Uh, the strength is is being driven by um, the banking crisis, the worries about contagion, and also um, the, so that's, you know, the, the safe haven trade. And also the impending end of rate rises is also positive because with rates going higher for longer and because gold doesn't pay a dividend, then less money tends to flow into gold as a consequence. So there are a couple of things that have been very helpful for gold. In Australian dollar terms, uh, we're 3006 last week, virtually the same this week. Precious metals, it's a solid week of gains, but really lacking in, um, in momentum, in, certainly in GDXJ, which is our basically our global uh, ETF. The local gold stocks, uh, however, are, are doing better. So Australian gold stocks looking, uh, looking much better. So let's take a quick look at the gold price is gold on a weekly, so you can see uh, back up above this 2000 level. Uh, looked at on a daily, um, in fact, uh, intraday once, twice, three times above 2000. So it's certainly looking, we, you know, we may just get a bit more of a pullback, perhaps down to the, to the low 1900s, but this really is looking extremely positive, higher highs and higher lows. And you can see it's been a pretty big move since November. So just under five months, we've moved from 1650 to over 2000. That's a huge move in gold. Uh, silver also starting to, um, to pick up the bit as well. All right, that's precious metals. Other commodities, gold was up to 402, nickel 1038. Now we've got copper inventories near historic lows as they've been now for quite some time. The projections are at the moment by the independent uh, bodies rather than vested interest bodies 
uh, are expecting that we'll see uh, peak supply of copper in 2024, but then deficits really kicking in as demand rises and supply falls off. So deficits, deficits expected to grow quite rapidly, which is then obviously very good for the copper price. Crude oil, West Texas Intermediate Crude, uh, was up $3 from 66 to 69. Um, is part of this the demise of Credit Suisse? Um, because they, they would have had a commodities trading desk and there's probably, you know, lots of oil contracts being, uh, being liquidated. It's very, very difficult to know at this stage what the real cause of it is. You can think about it all you like, but the best thing to do, as I've said many times, is just control what you can control. Buy quality projects, buy them when they're cheap, both fundamentally and technically, and, um, and have a time frame long enough to let them unfold. So for me, the energy sector remains a long-term buying opportunity. Um, I'm, I'm quite bullish on it, not so much in the short term, I'm uncertain in the short term, but in the long term, I think we're certainly down into a zone where some good long-term investments could be made. Lithium prices still declining. Um, in China, vehicle subsidies um, and some attempted battery supply deals are certainly disrupting the normal lithium pricing. My take on it is from a couple of independent analytical firms. So I'm trying to steer away from anything that Elon Musk might have to say or anything that the Chinese might have to say and just staying with the independent um, assessment for, of people that are on the ground. And that is that this is an unusual period. This is not symptomatic of a change in demand or change in attitude. This is a, this is a transitory period. Lithium carbonate was down to 53, but look, that still is extremely profitable territory. You know, we've gone from extreme profitabilities to, to strong profitability. So I don't know why these stocks are being sold off so hard. Oh, yes, I do. It's just irrational behavior. It's the herd building momentum and, you know, just doing unthinking, irrational things. Lithium hydroxide is doing better. It's trading at a premium, just under 62,000, and that is still extremely profitable territory. Spodumene, 5,050. Again, that is still really, really good. And apparently the demand for spodumene remains very strong. Customers uh, on contracts are still trying to buy more than their allocation. So the price of spodumene is it's incredibly profitable for the likes of um, Pilbara and IGO and Min Resources, um, and um, you know the demand is there. The supply is there will be a supply response, but the the consensus is that despite the the big supply response, it's the demand is increasing so rapidly that um, it's just not going to be enough. There's a spot copper chart, nice rise over the last um, week or two. And there's the nickel chart also up a bit last week. Wrapping it up, I think at the moment, a, a judiciously thought out contrarian approach should pay dividends in this sort of market. So what are the best contrarian entry opportunities? Well, they're high quality businesses that are assured of growth. They're in a megatrend 
or whatever you want to call it, but their outlook, as long as they're properly managed, their outlook for growth in earnings is virtually assured. So that's the first thing. Secondly, buy them when they're fundamentally cheap and you know you can't just use something like a PE ratio in its absolute form. You've, you've got to look a little bit deeper than that, but buy them when they're fundamentally cheap and buy them when, they're at, when they've been sold off and they're at technically low extremes because the rebound is, again, extremely high probability. So these are all things that we can control. And then you need a profit-taking technique to retain the gains but still leave some of the upside open because this, in this sort of volatile market, we're getting a lot of chop. And you know you, it's very easy to make 10, 15, 20% gain and then next week you've lost it all. It's very frustrating. So you need a, a technique and there are various ways of doing that where you can keep the, keep the cash register ticking over. This is all covered in the, um, in the Insiders Club and Portfolio Analyst memberships, of course. Speaking of Portfolio Analyst last week, we looked at market psychology and avoiding large losses, how to, how to control things as far as your psychology is concerned, and also my gold watch list. So a good session, well received. That's it for this week. There's my email address and more information on the website. And I'll be back with you next Sunday. 